0: The book of Acts, chapter 22, verse 6. This story is about Paul's conversion, and he's talking about his conversion in his own words. Uh, the Damascus Road experience is in the Scriptures basically three times. And, but this is his own account of his own experience. And he is coming at us and defending his, ironically, he is defending his identity because he too, his identity is under attack. He's dealing with some religious elite that do not like what he's saying. They do not like the conversion that he had. And he has to literally fight his own brothers and sisters because of what Jesus has done for him on the cross. And so, this is basically a defense of his character, because, well, they're just saying that he's not a very good Jew. He'll go on to say, I'm the best Jew on the planet. There is no better Jew than me, and yet, Jesus has saved me. Verse 6, about noon, I came near to Damascus, and then suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed all around me, and I felt the ground, and I heard... A voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Okay, easy to skim over, but that's a very important statement. Because this is Saul who will become Paul, but he is on the path. He's literally on the war path to persecute Christians, to persecute Jesus' followers. And Jesus shows up in a big, bright light. Just for context, it is at this point in the story where Jesus has levitated off the planet. He's no longer here with us in bodily form. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and now he's having... A one to one talk with Saul. And Saul is a little perplexed because Saul is persecuting his followers. And yet he says, Who are you, Lord? So he knows just by the experience, just by being knocked off by a ray of light, that this experience is led by the Lord. He is acknowledging that his God is doing this to him and yet he's confused he say he's basically who are you Lord basically he's saying what's going on here I thought I had all the right answers I thought I was the best Jew on the planet what's going on I thought got the law down I got the rules down I've got this righteous indignation this burning desire to make things right so he's confused about what God's doing He thought that he knew God. And yet now it turns out that he really doesn't. I am Jesus of Nazareth in whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. So Paul's the only one, knocked off his horse, he's the only one that's understanding, most likely, an audible voice from heaven speaking. The other persecutors are hearing, who knows what they're hearing, I don't know if they're hearing static or weird stuff or what, who knows what they're hearing, but whatever they're hearing, they can't understand it. Only Paul is able to understand what is being spoken to him by Jesus. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Just get up. Time to start moving. Get up. Get off your back, the Lord said, and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a a devout observer of the law. He was a Christian, highly respected by the Jews living there. So, Ananias has been assigned to take care of Paul, to take care of his very enemy. He has to pray for, Ananias has to pray for Paul. And again, it is Paul's assignment to persecute Ananias. And yet Ananias is led by God, is here to minister to Paul. That would have been a difficult ask, right? How would you feel if God asked you to minister to somebody that's out to get you? He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, He's already inviting him into the family. Do you you see the language? Brother Saul, receive your sight. So Ananias is functioning inside of his spiritual gifts, the spiritual gift of healing. And at that very moment, I was able to see other versions of the story say that, that scales fell off of his eyes. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth, you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? You get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, call upon his name. Again, this is the perfect Jew. He's followed the law. Before this moment, he didn't think that he had any sins. He didn't think he had a need for a Savior. His life was pretty good. When I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know what I went, when I went from synagogue to synagogue to imprison and to beat those who believe in you, and this one's, this one's tough, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, and I will send you far away. I will send you to the Gentiles. That's us. That's us. So, so hard, so heartbreaking to think that he was there as they murdered Stephen, holding the clothes, approving it, like saying, like basically saying, yeah, this is a good thing. In essence, I mean, you could easily say probably from um, the way that we do law, here he was an accomplice in essence he might as well just as thrown the rocks and god is doing something completely new with paul his name is becomes new he goes he transforms from a saul to a paul this is a powerful story and it is transformative it, this this moment this experience changed the world again because Paul was called to the Gentiles it's easy to read through these stories and it's easy not to necessarily hear God's voice when you're doing your own reading time but there's God speaks in many different ways and he take he likes to take his word and he likes to illustrate his word there's a famous painting that spoke to me when I was a boy, and this painting still speaks to me. It's by a famous Renaissance, late Renaissance painter called Caravaggio. Not quite sure if you can see it very well, but there's Paul's horse at the top. There's one of his attendants that can't hear what God is saying, and then there's Paul on his back with hands raised out, he has been blinded by the light. The way that the scriptures even describe the light, you know, you, you think about the shows and whether it's a cartoon about this story or about, you know, a drama, you know, the bright light comes down from heaven. But the way that the scriptures describe the light is as if the light was pulsating all around them. It has completely enveloped them, this light that blinded Paul. And so he's in a complete state As the artist depicts, in essence, ecstasy, like he's out of his mind. Cold, hardened, law-abiding Jew is now out of his mind, experiencing and probably quite terrified of the love of God. And I think that this painting, although it's like incredible, the lighting is perfect, the proportions are perfect. Even the way that Paul is laying almost under the horse, that, that, quite, that, that perspective artistically hasn't, wasn't ever done before. So it's kind of like a, a big deal type of a painting as far as technique goes. But again, the face of Paul. Just receiving God. And again, why this one speaks to me is because I have had that experience. I, the Lord has put me on my back. In, I mean, we read it earlier, like trance. I know that sounds like a new agey type of word, but I don't know. God invented the trance. He'll, he'll put you into a trance to, to minister to you. And what why this, again, why this speaks to me, because I've had this type of experience. Us charismatic Pentecostals types, we call this experience being slain in the spirit. It sounds kind of extreme. I just call it carpet time. So when the when the spirit of God falls upon you and you are overwhelmed by the light of his goodness and glory, you might just take a little nap. And in your experience, it might just seem like a few minutes. But in reality, you've been laying on the floor for hours while God is is ministering to you. And I I have a belief, and I base my ministry off of this belief. You might not like my belief, but my belief is that all of you, every single one of you, can have a religious experience. I hate calling it a religious experience, but you can enter into God's space. You can have a spiritual encounter with a living holy God. It is my belief that this type of experience isn't just for me and us super holy, hyper charismatic types. It's for you too. And it and it and it's not, it doesn't have to be weird. It's good. So this is how God spoke to me. This is how God how I got to know God a little bit better through this work of art. Why? Because it corresponds and illustrates the scriptures so beautifully. The first century church, the early early church they, too, used art in their expression of worship. They used symbolism. They used literal depiction of images to convey their love. They, they showed themselves worshiping. The persecuted church, before it became a big, giant monster organization in Rome, but before, while it was an underground persecuted church and the, Ro- you know, the Romans were feeding Christians to the lions, they were hiding in certain places, yet they were worshiping in a continual state. And we have first century drawings of worshipers raising their hands, uh, going into these, these moments of being close to God. The first century church, one of their favorite motifs, one of their favorite depictions artistically was that of Jesus with a lamb upon his shoulders. It's the good shepherd uh, theme. We probably should talk about a good shepherd even more and more these days, but it meant something to him. The story meant something, and then the art meant something to them because they could identify, and they they know that they needed a good shepherd to shepherd them through persecution, to shepherd them through hard times. And they relied, and again, those works of art spoke to them. Move into the Middle Ages and to the the Renaissance period, where um, the church becomes institutionalized, And yet there's something very beautiful, there was a creative element taking place inside of organized structured church and they were building cathedrals, like Sharp's Cathedral is absolutely stunning. Now I I don't wanna get into was it right or was it wrong, But the intent, the purpose of that cathedral is that when you walked in and when you experienced the space, the space is sacred and it literally elevated your spirit when you walked into the space. They used art to communicate, they used architecture and stained glass to communicate the majesty of God. That was the intent of the architect. And we see great paintings like this expressing God moving. Incidentally, Caravaggio was a terrible person, by the way. I just, like he was not a good, like this again, God used him to paint this painting, but he was a terrible person. He was a little deviant pervert. You wouldn't want your kids hanging around him. Anyway. And this type of artistic expression I mean, it just, it kept people informed, it kept people educated, because I don't know, I don't understand what happened, but um, the super religious people inside of the ancient, or the the newly formed organized church, they thought that it still had to be read in Latin, and it was like magic words on Sunday, and nobody knew what the priest was talking about except for the priest, so it just kind of got complicated, and then in the 16th century, a priest came came along and said, you know what? This word is too precious. This to be left alone for us special people. No, this is the word of God and it belongs to everybody. Everybody should have access. Everybody should be able to read this. And so Martin Luther did something revolutionary and he translated it into German for the common person. The common person could read the book. It was a huge deal. And yet... Although that was extremely important. Martin Luther did something even arguably even more important than that to communicate the gospel to everyone. And it was so out of the ordinary and out of the box and very uncomfortable and very unconventional. This is what he did. He he took... He took tavern bar songs the themes and the melodies of of drinking music and he applied scripture to them he made the music he made he made the music something that that everybody wanted to listen to and everybody wanted to sing and he made a he translated the word of god so that everybody could read it and there was this there was this creative expression that took place inside of that time in history that that where music was like one of the huge vehicles for spreading the gospel. And it was again, it was done creatively. Early on in the beginning bursts of this country, we had something called the Great Awakening. We probably don't read about that in the American history books anymore. But the Great Awakening took place during the time of Benjamin Franklin and all those types of guys. But there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was huge. And there were preachers that, that went up and down the New England coast and circuit riders. And they too, they used new types of music to draw hordes, crowds and crowds of people in to hear great preachers preach. And they used, and they printed pamphlets. And they got it out all over the place. And then they had another great awakening called the Second Great Awakening. And then the same thing happened, although it was new. It was a new expression. It was a new blossoming of artistic creativity. Closer to our time, part of the tradition of this church was a huge revival that, that took place in Los Angeles. And it was called the Azusa Street Revival. And in that, It was a movement that was completely dedicated to prayer. An African-American man wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit obliged, literally changed the world. We we don't really understand the impact of the Azusa Street Revival, but it it was dynamic. It was huge. And again, there was a new artistic expression of music that everybody could relate to. Shortly after that, there was... Uh, in the 20s, there was a great revivalist. This one was a woman, by the way. Oh, my goodness. A woman preacher. That, Imagine that. But her name was Amy Simple McPherson. And Amy Simple McPherson, again, she, the power of God would come upon her, and, and she would have these types of religious experiences, and God would lead her and empower her. She would literally walk into hospitals and pray for em- people, and they she would empty out hospitals. She was putting doctors out of business. She was one of the first to leverage technology. She got herself on the radio, and she got her word out all over the place. Music, of course, was a big deal in those days. But in addition to that, she expressed herself through the arts. She always had like these crazy props like big giant megaphones with scripture on it and artistic works. Her church, it's still there. It's called Angeles Temple in Los Angeles. You need to go see it. It's incredible. Like architecturally, it's just an incredible piece of architecture. It speaks to you when you see it. Her home is also awesome. And being an ex-antique dealer, if I was still an antique dealer, this is a house that I would want to loot. Like, this is stuff that I'd steal, because it's so good. My grandfather actually sat under Amy Simple McPherson's teachings. And he remembers one day when she was going to preach a sermon, and she decided to write a Harley Davidson up the aisles to the pulpit. Now, that's a creative expression. She did that kind of stuff before anybody else did. Closer to our own time, even a little bit closer than Amy Simple McPherson, was an incredible outpouring of God, an incredible revival for young people, and it was called the Jesus People Movement. Some of you experienced that firsthand. The Jesus People Movement in the late 60s, early 70s, transformed and literally saved the culture because the culture was circling the drain real fast. But there was a, God had another plan. God had a revival in place. Again, marked by really cool music. And much like Martin Luther introducing bar songs into church, well, there was a bunch of long-haired hippie people that introduced rock and roll into the church. It didn't go over too well at the time. Right now, we're just kind of used to it. This is everyday normal stuff. Every church, even those stuffy churches, they now have guitars and you know contemporary music. But back in those days... No, it was the organ or nothing, folks. It was the choir or, you know, you were just kind of out of luck. The music did not connect with the masses. And again, during the Jesus People Movement, they introduced this incredible music that actually gave glory and worshiped God at the same time. But in addition to a shift and change in music, there was a shift and change in the Visual arts and the graphic arts, uh, our generation, one of our probably, they're going to say that he's going to be, he's going to go down as the next Billy Graham. That's pa- Pastor Greg Laurie at Harvest Church out in Riverside. So he's probably going to go down as the next Billy Graham. Personally, I think he deserves it. I think he's a great man of God. And he just finished up a huge crusade. Uh, I think they had to miss one last year just finished up a huge crusade with thousands of people getting to know the Lord. But he was was one of those Jesus people movement guys. He was one of those long-haired hippies. And so we know him for what he did. We know him for what he taught and the way that he evangelized, the way that he brought the lost in, all of the salvations. That's what he's known for but what rarely, and he will talk about this, but what, what rarely gets highlighted from our perspective is what Greg Laurie did artistically. He was an artist, he was an animator, he was an illustrator. He, like, from a marketing perspective, he knew how to create things with drawing that appealed to a younger audience. He, act, he used art to leverage the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there will be another outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I'm telling us these, these stories is because every single move of God, whether it's a renewal or a revival, an outpouring of God's Spirit, where hungry people get saved, whatever, whenever that happens, every single time, it is marked by an, a creative explosion, a creative birth, whether it is in the music or whether it is in the visual arts. God uses art to talk to us, to grab our attention, to show us his beauty, to show us his glory. It's all just an expression of worship. What's going on today is we're seeing God use art to reach people. A few years back, I remember seeing the screening of the Passion of the Christ at Azusa Pacific University. They did a screening for church leaders and other people uh, prior to the, the big giant release. And it was, it was shocking. It was, it was so good. It was so beautiful to see it in that moment and to hear the Aramaic and to see Jim Caviezel portray Jesus. And it was just done so perfectly. Mel Gibson was just, he was a master artist in directing that film. And I, I remember coming out of that auditorium, and it's like, you know, you're walking into the sunlight out of that dark place. And there were people all over crying and weeping. And these are seasoned Christians. These are people that supposedly have been walking with the Lord their entire lives, and they're just moved so much. And, you know, some people were crying. Some people, you could just see them almost like kind of like shaking, and they, they, like, they had to sit down after they watched the film and this is, again, this is God communicating. This is getting to know God through a new medium, celluloid film. Now, granted, most Christian films are really bad these days, but they're getting better. There is another film, and I feel like a terrible Christian because I haven't seen it, but it's going on right now, and it's even being shown inside of our church. It's called The Chosen, and again, it's, the, it's a series about Jesus and his life, uh, we are screening it Friday nights. It's like a home group, but I want to invite you guys to come on in and watch it. I st- and again, I still haven't seen it. I'm such a bad Christian. Um, why hasn't Pastor Josh seen The Chosen? Um, okay, part of it, one side, is because I'm going to have a hard time replacing Jim Cavizel with this new Jesus. That's a big part of it. It's a huge part of it. And so God's got to work with me on this. On the other side, I just I don't know, kind of lazy. Whatever, I just haven't seen it yet. But isn't that fascinating? I mean, I, I I see what this film is doing to the faith of people in our church that are going to it and watching it, and they're talking about it. Like we talk about it at staff all the time. I'm like, come on, guys, I haven't seen this yet. The power of art. And again, this is the nature and the and character of God. If you look at the very first few verses in Scripture, you will see something very unique about the character and the nature of our God, of Yahweh. In this case, it's even bigger, not bigger than Yahweh, the other aspect of Yahweh. This is Elohim. In the beginning, God slash Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Right there, very first line. We learn that our God is a creative God. That's really cool. Now, the earth was formless and empty and darkness hovered over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was what? hovering over the waters. This is capital S. This isn't God's Spirit. This is the Spirit of God. When we say, come Holy Spirit, come, this is who we're talking about. And then God begins to literally speak us into existence. Our our planet, our solar system, everything. He, He speaks it into existence. He logos is it whether you whether you know this or not the very few first few lines of our scriptures show us a heavenly god the father that is really too hard to understand and then we see god the holy spirit hovering over the waters and we see the logos of god which if you read john chapter 1 Jesus is the Logos. He is the spoken word. Jesus is the one that is speaking our existence, our, his creation into existence. Landon, what's that worship song you sung today about the, the Spirit hovering? What's that thing called again? Rest on Us. Rest on us. How does that verse go? Ah, yeah, yeah. That's what I forgot. As the Spirit is hovering over the waters, come, And hover over us. What is God saying to you? This is what he's saying. His spirit is going to rest on you. And do things with your life that you might not like. But it's really good. And it's really creative. So just put a a thumb tack in that moment. Knowing that the spirit of God is, is hovering over you. So, as we see in the first few lines, God is a creative God. Do you know what that means for you? I'm going to tell you. We believe in the Imago Dei, that you have been made, created, uniquely created into and from the image of God. You are God's very image. You are the image of God, and so, therefore, God is a creator and you have his spirit hovering over you you too can create. Now I know what you're thinking. God like you talked about all this revival stuff. Pastor Josh, I am not a musician. I've got some news for you. I'm not a musician either. I can't play any instrument. I I I have no rhythm. I'm probably tone deaf. The kazoo is complicated for me. I can't I can't even play the radio. So that's not me. But here's something else that's not me, is that I'm not an artist. I mean, my my stick figures are really bad. They're not proportionally correct. I don't, I can't draw, I can't paint, I can't even do crafts. I know crafting is a big deal in our church. And I'm gonna leave it alone because it's awesome that you guys craft. But I can't do crafts. I don't have I don't have the patience to sit down and do do crafts. So there might be some of you that can relate to my Artistic experiences. I'm not an artistic person. And yet, the truth of who I am and the truth of who you are, everybody sitting here and watching online, the truth is is that God has created you to be a creative person. Like it or not, okay, this is how I believe that it works. How I believe that it works for you is like, okay, Pastor Josh. Like again, I'm not an artistic person, I don't care. Okay, I get it. But let me ask you a question. Do you have, okay, maybe you're not all into the whole revival, renewal thing. Maybe that doesn't ring your bell, and I get it. But let me ask you a question. Do you have any problems? If you don't have any problems, you're probably in the wrong church. Do you have any problems? Do you have a problem that is so overwhelming and daunting that it, you're just, you you feel like you can't solve it. Do you have any issues in your life that are beyond your control? I've got some really good news for you. If you have a problem that is bigger than you, the good news is, is that we have a God, we serve a God, we have a God that lives inside of us that is bigger than all of our problems. And not only is God bigger than all of our problems, he has planted inside of you a creative way to solve that problem. There is a creative solution to what is vexing you right now. Artistically by the power of the Holy Spirit that is hovering upon you, you can come out that obstacle and He will show you, give you a creative strategy to solve anything, absolutely anything that is going on in your life. Pastor Josh, you don't know what I'm dealing with physically. Okay, maybe I don't. But I do know, and what I have experienced, is if you are dealing with an ailment in your body, God has a creative solution to relieve you from an ailment. And it might even be in the form of a creative miracle. We have seen creative miracles take place inside of bodies, inside of this church, where there uh, once was not an organ there, and now there is an organ there. I don't, I don't know how to explain that. It was just God's creative thing taking place inside of a body. So I do know and I do believe and I have seen in my own body God do creative stuff, fixing things divinely that I cannot fix or doctors cannot fix. Pastor Josh, you don't know what my financial situation is. I am so far in debt. I am so buried that there is no way out. I'm screwed. First off, if you've ever said anything like that or, or declared that, um, you need to stop declaring that. You stop going into agreement with the enemy of lies that says that you cannot get out from debt, or you cannot that it's overwhelming to you that you're never going to be set free. Okay, that that's the type of language the devil wants you to say. The Lord's going to take that negative language that says, I can't do this, and he's going to replace it with a divine language from Philippians 4.13. that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When we allow the Holy Spirit to hover over on top of our problems, again, he's going to give us a divine solution to attack the debt. He's going to open up debt doors of opportunity that you had no idea that were there at one time. He is going to put the right people in the right place. He might even, no one likes this, he might even bring discipline into your life so you're not buying junk that you don't need. The Holy Spirit has a solution to your financial problem, and it is not an external fix. It's an internal fix. He will solve that problem from the inside out. Now, you think that physical ailment and financial problems, you think that those are hard problems? Do you know what's harder than those two problems right there? Those are relational problems. Relationship issues, dysfunctions, hurts, abuses, Bitterness, betrayal, distancing from people that you once knew and loved. God has got a creative solution to reconcile every single broken relationship in your life. First of all, you've got to believe that God can save a relationship. You have to. You have to you can't just say, well, that person hurt me so bad, I'm never going to forgive them. Again, you start talking like that, it's devil talk. You need to say, okay, I don't have, it's like me, okay, I don't have the emotions to forgive that person that stole my identity, but I know I need to choose to forgive. Emotions will follow. God's going to give you a strategic, divine, creative plan. A, cre- a, a, a creative plan... To mend broken relationships in your life, he's going to come up with a creative plan so that you can reach your kids that aren't following the Lord. He's going to give you a creative plan for you to have a hard conversation with somebody that, that you're disillusioned with. He can reconcile and save every single situation. Pastor Josh. This person abused me so bad. I just can't go there. And the Lord would say to you, you're right, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you can never forget. Maybe the abuse was so hard, cut so deep inside And maybe this person that offended you is dead. Maybe you don't even have the opportunity to reconcile. But what you do have the opportunity to do today is to forgive and to allow the Holy Spirit to creatively heal your emotions and to be set free from bitterness and shame. Amen. There is a creative solution to every single issue that you have. It takes a little bit of a, a shift in perspective sometimes. Maybe you need to see your, your problems from a different light, from a different angle, maybe from a heavenly perspective, a heavenly angle. Whenever we consider and contemplate what Jesus did on the cross, usually all of our artistic expressions of the cross is a cross or Jesus hanging on the cross and we are down. We're looking up at what Jesus is doing for us for the forgiveness of our sins. We're looking at how bad it is and how much stuff he is going through. But I want you to see a different perspective. This next image on the screen is from one of my favorite artists of all time, James Tissot, and he did a whole series on uh, religion, religious imagery. This is This too is a crucifixion. But this time... This crucifixion is from a different perspective. This crucifixion is taking place from the eyes of Jesus himself up at the cross, looking down upon you. He's seeing things differently than we see it. When he goes to the cross, he's not looking at his own pain and his own suffering. When he goes to the cross, he has you in mind. He is looking at you. He is looking at his mother, Mary. He is looking at Mary Magdalene. He is looking at John, the beloved. He is even looking at and loves those that have nailed him up there and that are going to pierce his side pretty soon. He is looking at us from above. He has a different perspective than you and I do, and it's a much better one. It solves problems. This cross solved all of our problems for us. He went to the cross... Yes, for the forgiveness of our sins, but also to humiliate, to put on public display the devil and all of his schemes to set us free. So what is your optics of what, where you're at? Where are you in, in the whole process? What is, what is God doing and what new thing can be done? Is there a creative solution? God gets creative in the beginning, and in the end, in the book of Revelation, he says something very staggering. He says, behold, I am doing something new. And when God says this, when John the Revelator writes this down, behold, I am doing something completely new, do you know that that applies to you? There's a new thing that God wants to do in your life. And what God when God says I want to do something new, he's like I want you to live life and live it to the fullest. I want the goodness of God to come not only just hover on top of you, but come from the inside out of you. He wants to do something new and creative inside of your life today. He really is that good and patient. Landon come on up. As he's on his way up, Why don't you go ahead and grab your elements. We're going to receive communion at this moment. And if you don't have one of these, we kind of ran out. If you don't have a a thimble communion thing, there's two stations in the back. And uh, I want to invite you just to go ahead and grab them right now as the band's setting up. But grab a cracker, grab a thing of juice if you want to participate in communion. If you don't, that's okay. Jesus is calling. on us When you're in the room We're here and we know you're moving We're here and we know you'll fill us I love the story in Exodus where the Israelites are in the desert complaining, starving to death and the Lord does a creative miracle and literally provides bread that falls down from heaven and that was their sustenance thousands of years later they picked up the story and Jesus said I am the bread of life I am the bread that fell down from heaven I am the creative miracle that's going to solve that starving problem His body was broken, broken for our needs. In the body of Christ, there is absolutely everything that you need in life. In fact, the scriptures say that God knows what you need before you ask. So if you ask, ask with good intentions, and everything that you ask for will be given to you. Lord knows what you have need of. So seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. In all of these provisions, the creative miracle will be added unto you as well. Receive the body of Christ. story from the beginning of Saul, Paul the Apostle. After his Damascus road, after his eyes were able to see again, Ananias says, dude, you need to get baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. See, Paul didn't think that he was sinning when he stood by and Approved of the stoning of Stephen. We thought that that was a righteous act. He was a sinner and he didn't even know it. We thought he was a good guy. But Ananias was a wise enough man to know that Paul needed to be baptized, that he needed to have his sins forgiven. And so when we take part of this cup, In a sense, it's a bit of a baptism because without the shedding of innocent blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And inside of the cup, it says that it washes us. The blood of Jesus Christ washes us pure as snow. God knows what you did. He knows the sins that you've committed. He just now wants you to become free of them and remember them no more and that is what is in this cup it is for the forgiveness and the turning away and the forgetting and the forgiving of past sins receive the blood of christ for the forgiveness of your sins That, my friends, is really good food and really good drink. The joy of the Lord should be resting upon you, hovering over you right now. You have been set free. You have been forgiven. Those chains and those bonds of unforgiveness that you have towards others and bitterness and rage, they're going to begin to break off and fall off during this week that overwhelming sense that you're never going to dig yourself out. You're going to be inspired with a new solution soon. The lag and the lack that you feel in your physical body. God wants to heal that too. Believe by faith that he can. Don't you just lift your hands like this to receive a blessing from the Lord? May the God of peace, God himself, go into a relationship with you, sanctifying, just like we did, through and through, may your whole body, your soul, and your spirit, may your whole being begin to become blameless, getting better and better each and every day, till the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said it was finished on the cross and from his perspective, it was done. But in the end, he's going to say, amen. to say, amen. Every tear will be wiped away at that moment. Every hurt and every disillusionment will be gone. That is our future hope, but it is also reality now. Go on God's blessings. Have an incredible week. Hope to see you soon.